The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to this special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. Joining me to discuss the by-elections are pollster James Johnson from GLP Partners and Spectator's political editor Katie Balls. Now Katie, what's the reaction in Westminster to the results last night? I think it's quite a mixed bag if you look at the results in the sense that the Tories have not done well. <laughs> if you look at the fact they've lost Salvi, formerly seen as Tory safe seat, majority over 20,000 to Labour, Somerton and Froome they've also lost to the Lib Dems. I think that was more expected when it was first called because we know the Lib Dems had done successively well in recent by-elections over the past couple of years. You put the two together and it looks as though the Tories are on course to lose power at the next election, should nothing change. But then I think a small ray of light, and perhaps it's um, giving false assurances, but certainly in terms of how Rishi Sunak handles today and the coming weeks, there's a ray of light in the fact that kept hold of Uxbridge and therefore you had a situation whereby only only by a small amount about 500 votes in it just under which allowed the Tories to keep it and to prevent Labour from taking it but that has just disrupted I think quite a bed in a narrative so yes Tories doing badly but it's not that triple by-election loss which I think was widely predicted when I spoke to people in Labour also the Tory party all were saying that was likely to happen and therefore you now have quite a interesting situation where Labour seemed to be having an internal fight about what went wrong in Uxbridge and as things stand and of course we're talking mid-afternoon today on a Friday um, but as things stand there's actually little sign of Tories lashing out um, which is probably what we would have expected more of if you'd said you know what do you think is going to happen when these, these results come through and instead you seem to have a war of words between the London Labour Party and Sadiq Khan and ultimately Keir Starmer and his deputy Angela Rayner really putting quite a lot of the blame on Sadiq Khan saying you less ultra low emission zones were unpopular and the mayor needs to reflect on that as do the leadership which I think is not only attracting more attention to the row when they had a pretty good result in Selby um, but it was also sowing seeds of discontent for the future. And James that point about the sort of uh, expectations in Westminster is really key I think the Conservatives probably expected uh, to lose all three of these what are the sort of polling lessons from looking at the results from last night? The, uh, the Conservatives will be will be pleased with that Uxbridge result, even though in the way that these things work, it was only a very small margin. If that margin had been the other way, then today's reaction would be would be very different. We ran at JL Partners two polls uh, a couple of weeks before the by-elections. Um, in Selby and Ainsey, um, we got the, uh, the Labour margin spot on at 12 points ahead. Very, very large swing uh, for Labour there. In Oxbridge, we had Labour ahead by eight points, but we did say that there was a big chunk of undecided voters who were leaning Conservative. And ULES there was a very salient issue and it was Conservative-owned. Clearly, in the last couple of weeks of the campaign, the Conservatives were able to squeeze some of the votes, whether from the Independents, from the Reclaim Party, from others, and really make that anti-ULES argument and seal, seal the deal. And obviously in Somerton and Froome, less polling there. I don't think any poll actually took place there. But clearly, the Lib Dems continuing their pattern of doing very well in Conservative-facing by-elections. So, broadly speaking, a pretty a pretty good night for the polls that took place, and it does show that ability for the Conservatives to mobilise opinion around a local issue. 
how much help that will be in a general election, of course, is rather another question. Yeah, I mean, Katie, that's the real big reaction here. There's some Conservative MPs I've been talking to who said, well, we need to have as an issue across the country. But there, frankly, don't seem to be that many issues on which you can kind of get the motivating turnout and beat Labour on. Yeah, I think there's a few ways of looking at it. So I think one of the consequences of the result in Uxbridge is both parties are now going to start to have a big debate about green issues Mm. and what your position should be and how you cover it and for Labour we know that they've been having quite a difficult green debate uh, anyway if we think back to the last Labour conference where they were very close to taking what was a red rose uh, the Labour logo and just making it a green rose to make the point that it was, you know, they were an environmental party. We feel so far away from that now. Yes, Ed Miliband is still pushing for the, the green agenda, but the $28 billion has been watered down. And you think, even though this isn't technically... Uh, you know, a net zero, it's more about air pollution. It is just feeding into that narrative. So you're speaking to figures in Labour today and I'm saying, but like, it's another reason we have to be really cautious. We need to not be having particularly bold policies. And I think you're going to see more when it comes to, you know, how big do Labour go on green in their pitch? More of the argument of economy first, green has to come after. Then for the Tory side, I think as you touch on, there's going to be a temptation to think, well, Ula's worked for us here. Can we bring that out to a national level? Um, And if you think about also recently, for example, the campaign by the Mail about um, the current electric car targets and saying we need to delay this, the country's not ready. I think after today's results, and of course the cover of The Spectator this week is on the war on motorists too, but I think people are going to start to think that these issues are even more potent. Mm. And what do the Tories have to say over Labour? Something I wrote about recently is that if you think of what's shaping the the Labour debate on green, GMB, the union, is sceptical about green jobs, and that's another factor. But how do the Tories respond? Do they try and get ahead, trying to repeat? And then I think the other thing to note about that Oxford result is... You could say, oh, it's all about this one issue. I don't think people ever vote just for one issue. Hmm. But it clearly helped when it came to working out what the campaign was, what your message was. And then I think that if you're... I suppose... If you are being an optimist in government right now, you would look at the Uxbridge result and think, well, this was about actually thinking what a Labour government would do, this this time in the form of the London Labour mayor. And therefore, as you get closer to an election, voters are going to have much more of a sense and much more in their mind as to not just, oh, I'm fed up with the Tories, they're useless, but effectively... What do, the, what do the other guys bring me? And therefore, there are potentially opportunities for the Tories to say, it brings you this. It's going to do this to your mortgage rates. Now, clearly Labour are going to turn around and say, your mortgage rates are high in the first place because of the Tories. Mm. But do you think it'll be easier to kind of get to that choice of crystallising where you look at the other two and there's definitely an anti-Tory vote. I just think the closer you get to an election, there'll be the vote of, what am I voting for if I do go, go for the other side? James, what is the Tories' best chance here? I mean, should they be embracing net zero scepticism, as some, like Richard Tyson, reform have been arguing? Should they also be talking about Labour and trying to turn that hypothetical Labour government into a reality and concentrating minds in the run-up to the election? Yeah, I think the Conservatives need to be cautious about reading too much into the, the green side of things here. Unlike in the US, UK voters are very consensus-driven on their view of the environment. They care a lot about the environment. They want to see measures to help it. They're obviously cautious uh, when it comes to things that really sort of whack them um, in terms of costs, like ULEZ. But broadly speaking, there would be an aversion, I think, to the Conservatives going too hard on sort of green bashing uh, amongst some of those key swing voters. I think what it does tell us, um, touching on Katie's point there, is that 
the Conservatives were able to coalesce around an issue and be quite disciplined about talking about it and focusing on it. Now, ULEZ is quite a local issue, so that's probably not going to have quite as much sway when it comes to a general election. But there are certainly other issues that feed into hesitations that people have about Labour, such as immigration, such as some of the cultural issues, such as their record on the economy, that the Conservatives would be able to weaponize on a seat-by-seat basis at the next election. If we go back to that Selby poll that I mentioned, I mentioned that in Uxbridge, ULEZ was the Conservative-owned issue and was salient. In Selby, there was also only one issue which the Conservatives had a lead on and was also salient, and that was immigration. Now, you didn't see the Conservatives going hard on that, but if you could see general election in seats like Selby, the Conservatives going really hard on something like immigration, whether it's illegal immigration and small boats, or legal immigration numbers and what a Labour government would look like on that, you could see there being a, a real benefit. So I think the main lesson from the Conservatives here is, well, firstly, you're still in trouble, guys. This was not a good result. They clung on to Uxbridge by the skin of their teeth. And secondly, to turn that around, you've got to get punchy. You've got to find these strong issues that you can link to the national story for a general election, but you can also use to expose Labour's weaknesses on an individual seat level. We've talked about Uxbridge. We've talked about Selby. Katie, finally, probably the most unsurprising result of the night was that the Lib Dems did their usual thing, formed very well in a by-election and took Somerton and Froome. How wide are Conservative MPs right now? Because the Lib Dems always do well in by-elections, but as James was saying there, nationals are very different and trying to fight local issues as national ones can bring you into problems. Yeah, so I think it's mixed opinion in the Tory party as to how grave a threat the Liberal Democrats pose. At some point, you know, previous by-elections where the Liberal Democrats have come in and then at the general election, it's been the Conservatives who kept the seat. But then I remember speaking to a few Red Wall MPs recently and they said perhaps they would want to say this, but they said they'd rather have their seats in a majority around 10,000 than have a 20,000 majority seat in the South because of the Lib Dems and the Greens. And they thought that was actually harder to battle as your uh, adversary than going straight against Labour, which where they think the vote is soft and it will go down near an election, partly for some of the reasons that James just outlined in terms of how you might attack Labour. So I think particularly after local elections, there is concern. I think what the Liberal Democrats have sometimes done wrong in the past is they get some luck, at, some wind in their sails um, through by-elections, local elections, and then they aim a bit too high, going for lots of seats. Of course, we all remember Jo Swinson telling us she could be the next Prime Minister. And um, then losing her seat. Yeah, exactly. Didn't quite work out. But I mean, that's an extreme level. Yeah. Um, but even if you take that one to one side often they will just aim for a high number of seats and therefore you spread out your resources. So I think there's going to be a tricky calculation for Ed Davey when he's looking at all these successes. And certainly the South West is an area along with the Blue Wall where the Liberal Democrats think they are you know, fighting fit for the next election. But working out how many you're really going to seriously target, where it, I think it's probably tempting to go for a very high number, but history does suggest mm. that they should stay pretty focused and then they could get some good results. But it's never usually as good as it seems for the Lib Dems. Uh, James, how many should the Lib Dems be looking at here? I mean, last time they suggested they could somehow end up running the country as Prime Minister. I mean, is, are we talking a dozen here, two dozen? And whereabouts would they be in the southwest, southeast in the country? Yeah, it's certainly in those in those southern seats. I think, you know, southwestern seats that they held before 2015, you could you could see some inroads, certainly seats around London, like Eastern Walton, as well as a couple of those London ones as well, you'd expect to be vulnerable. I am a little sceptical about the extent of a Lib Tem performance in a general election. They've done very, very well in these by-elections, getting consistent swings in the high 20s. 
but they are very local issues with very little implications for who runs the government and uh, suit the Lib Dems, you know, in terms of places where they can run a strong ground game and mobilize opinion. When that becomes about national issues, about who's going to run the government, who's going to run the economy, Labour and the Conservatives will be looking to squeeze that Lib Dem vote down. And also, even in seats where it's a Tory Lib Dem marginal, unless there's some kind of informal pact between the Lib Dems and Labour, you would expect Labour to still get some votes in those seats for people who don't know much about tactical voting or don't know that, you know, that they even elect an MP. You know, a lot of people still assume that the electoral system is just voted for nationally and the and, and the party that gets the most votes overall than the country wins. So there is a uh, there are limitations, I think, on, on what the Lib Dems can do come a general election. If things stay as they are now, I'd expect them to be in that sort of two dozen seats range, which would be very bad. Um, if the Conservatives can can narrow the gap a little bit, don't think it's implausible that you know they could end up closer to sort of twelve to fifteen seats, which would which would not be very good for them at all. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, James, and thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.